Want to save 17 gallons of fuel every thousand miles? You can, with the powerful combination of Michelin X1 tires and the Michelin Energy Guard aerodynamic solution on your truck. Michelin X1 tires can reduce rolling resistance up to 30% for more fuel savings. And Michelin Energy Guard helps you control airflow for lower costs per mile. Go to business.michelinman.com slash fuel saver for details and start saving today. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Welcome to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. I'm a national democratic strategist, uh, a, a columnist for The Hill in Washington, DC, and a political analyst for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications Research, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling company, or if you have any ideas or suggestions for Deadline DC, the best way to contact me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon, all one word. In the, today on Deadline DC, we're going to discuss violent, the twin epidemics facing America, uh, violence and climate change. They're both serious threats to our way of life. In the first half hour, our guest is uh, Atiba Mudyung, who is a political analyst. In the second half hour, he's here to talk about uh, race violence in America. Then in the second half hour, Bob Dean of the Natural Re Bob Deans of the Natural Resources Defense Council Action Fund will join us to discuss the threat from climate change. Uh, before we get to Atiba, though, we have this clip, which is a clip from the prosecutor's closing argument in the Derek Chauvin case in the case of the murder of George Floyd. You have that power, and only you have the power to convict the defendant of these crimes. And in so doing, and in so doing, declare that this use of force was unreasonable. It was excessive. It was grossly disproportionate. It is not an excuse for the shocking abuse that you saw with your own eyes. And you can believe your own eyes. This case is exactly what you thought when you saw it first, when you saw that video. It is exactly that. You can believe your eyes. It's exactly what you believed. It's exactly what you saw with your eyes. It's exactly what you knew. It's what you felt in your gut. It's what you now know in your heart. This wasn't policing. This was murder. The defendant is guilty 
of all three counts, all of them, and there's no excuse. Okay, that is the uh, prosecutor in the Derek Chauvin case uh, making his closing argument uh, today in Minneapolis. Our guest in this half hour is Atiba Mudyong, who is the CEO uh, of uh, the Mudyong gov- uh, uh, Group, a government relations firm based in Washington, D.C., Uh, He is also the CEO of Party Politics U.S., a data collection firm that engages with young people to help educate them about public policy. Atiba is a former division director of the National Black Caucus of State Legislators, as well as the author of the novel Saving Grace, which is available for purchase on Amazon and Kindle. Uh, His Twitter handle is ATIBA. M-A-D-Y-U-N. Atiba, thanks for joining us again today on Deadline DC. Brad, thank you so much for having me. Uh, Let's start with the uh, trial of uh, Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis. Uh, He's being tried for the murder of George Floyd. Uh, I've, just from what I could see, most legal analysts believe uh, that he'll probably be convicted um, if he is convicted of the crime. Uh, do you think that will accomplish anything uh, besides give some peace of mind to the family of the late George Floyd? You know, I, I don't know if there will ever be peace of mind for that for the family. Um, I don't think there'll be peace of mind for millions of Americans who witnessed what happened um, with George Floyd with the knee to the neck um, Derek Chauvin, um, this, uh, it was just a grotesque, um, use of, uh, or misuse of police, um, power. Um, and, um, as we see this all play out, I think there are a lot of us that are a bit nervous because we've seen things like this happen before where, um, we knew that the person was guilty and then they were found innocent. So I think many of us are just holding our breath to see what happens. Will there be closure for the family? You know, no, no, no matter what the very, verdict is, it's not going to bring uh, Mr. Floyd back. Uh, do you think this trial and all the publicity that came along with it uh, uh, will will act as a uh, lightning rod to show Americans um, how dangerous it is to be a young black man uh, who's arrested by the police? Or do you think uh, it will have any effect at all if, you know, I mean, George Floyd was murdered, in my opinion, uh, and you would like to think that his murder would serve some larger purpose, like to uh, show Americans how dangerous it is to be a young black man who's uh, arrested by the police. Uh, Do you think any good will come of this, or is it just total tragedy from beginning to end and part of a continuous cycle which will never end? It's a continuous cycle that I hope will end. Um, I don't know. I don't think any of us see um, the light at the end of the tunnel showing that it's going to end. Uh, we've got had this happen too many times. I mean, too many names that we could say Mike Brown, Ahmed Arbery, Breonna Taylor, uh, Sandra Bland, um, Tamir Rice. You know, the list just keeps going on and on and on. This is just another case. This is um, another case where we've seen a city that paid a settlement out to a family for wrongful death but we still have a criminal child that, that's, um, that's in play. And what often we see is cities um, pay 
taxpayer money to families to try as, as to throw money at a problem that continues to exist. We've got to figure out ways that we're going to change the qualified immunity that police officers um, have in this country. We've got to figure out what the a different way in terms of policy is of the rules of engagement. Uh, what gives a police officer the right to be able to not only pull their gun, but there is nothing that justifies um, any of us watching that eight minute, 46 second video of Derek Chauvin's neck, I mean, knee on the neck of George Floyd. These things have been happening for a very long time. We can go back to slavery. We can go um, to the, during segregation and it's still happening today. So America has a serious issue to confront um, and to address and no amount, no amount of protest is going to change it. It has to happen from a policy standpoint. Uh, let me ask you a couple of questions here. First, I was uh, looking at a Facebook posting last week, uh, and it was a young black man uh, talking about how terrifying he was pulled over uh, by the police for some traffic violation. I forget exactly what it was. And I was thinking, uh, you know, last time I was pulled over by a policeman uh, for a traffic violation. It was a terrifying experience. But then I thought, after reading this Facebook posting, it must be incredibly terrifying for a young black man, you know, to be pulled over for a traffic violation, uh, given what's happened to young black men and their interaction with the police. I, I can't even, have you ever been pulled over? I've been pulled over. I remember as a teenager being pulled from a car, um, told to sit on the sidewalk while my friend's car was searched. I remember telling my friend, because um, who was def who was very uh, irate and, and frustrated, you know, at, the, at this um, police stop, um, asking him not to uh, to continue talk speaking to the officers, asking what they were doing. But he had every right to say the things that he was saying because it was just one of those situations you're just trying to get out of it. I've been in, in situations where I've actually had to look at police officers and say, "This is what's your badge number." Um, so I, I don't think there's too many of us as African-American men in particular who can say that they haven't been, pull, been pulled over, let alone felt uh, some sort of uh, concern uh, when we were pulled over. And I know particularly when I was younger um, when this happened. Yeah. OK, uh, we're going to go to break now, but we come back to more of Deadline D.C. with Brad Bannon. We will continue this discussion of race in America with our guest uh, Atiba Mudyong, who is the CEO of the Mudyong Group. Uh, we'll be back uh, in a few seconds. I also want to, when we continue this discussion, I also want to discuss uh, more generally the problem of violence in America. Not only do we have uh, police violence against African Americans, but we also have a tremendous amount of violence generally in the last couple of weeks, there have been a couple of mass shootings. Uh, it's terrifying. Uh, we'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon right after this quick break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show. Welcome back to Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. My guests in this half hour just to discuss violence in America, uh, our violent and divided society, is Atiba Munyong, who is the CEO of the Munyong Group. 
Uh, Atiba, uh, we live in a deeply divided and violent nation. Uh, the violence seems to be of epidemic proportions. Uh, we have, uh, in the last uh, week, uh, we've had several mass shootings. Uh, my first question to you is, is are the disruption, violent disruptions to American society getting worse? Is this just a phase we're going through? Or I'd like to think, you know, there's that quote that uh, Martha Luther King Jr. used to always uh, use that the arc of justice is long, but it uh, uh, the arc of history is long, but it uh, bends towards justice. And you know, sometimes I wonder about that because things seem to be getting worse. This racial violence, uh, the mass shootings. Uh, we live in a violent and deeply divided nation. Am I? Uh, uh, what can make things better in this country? Because it seems to me that things are horrible right now. I think we got to come at this from a place of, you know, if I say love, I mean, you think about Mahatma Gandhi, you think about Dr. King, they talked a lot about love. We've got to come back. We've got to find and identify what is it that we love? Do we love our guns more than we love people? Do we love hate more than we love love? Do we, but we also have to have some, some pieces of hope. And I think a lot of this right now, there's a lot of hope that is missing. Um, we've just got out of a very divisive four years of a president who didn't just further divide the country, he amassed um, the band-aid that was over a broken bone of racism and xenophobia and sexism and fascism that's in this country. And we've often hear when we have these mass shootings that this is not who we are as a nation, and I disagree with it. This is exactly who we are as a nation. Um, if you think back to um, uh, Malcolm X, when he was uh, a picture or photographed holding a gun at his window to protect himself in his home, and he talked about protecting his home and protecting himself by any means necessary. There were a lot of people that became threatened by that, not because he was saying anything that was un-American, but because he was a black man who was saying it. And so we've got to change a lot of these things. And we've got to figure out how we're going to humanize a lot of these things. And we've got to come at this from love and hope. And it can't just be about love for country. It has to be love for self. It has to be love for our families, love for our communities. And then we can start talking about how we want to love our cities and, our, and, 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 and the country, because the country right now it's not divided for no reason. It's divided because we continue to allow it to be one way for one people and we have a different set of rules for another. And until we change that set, there's going to be continue to be the conflict and the divide that we have. Okay. It seems to me that as President Joe Biden's legislative options are limited. Uh, for example, I don't think there is much chance at all. Uh, for instance, uh, last week or the week before, uh, President Biden came out in favor of a ban on assault weapons and high capacity uh, magazines for bullets. Uh, there is very little likelihood that uh, the president's proposal to ban assault weapons will get through uh, the Senate. I'd, I'd love to think it would, but I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but uh, given the limitations on his office, is there anything Joe Biden can do uh, from his perch uh, on at the White House uh, to try to bring this country together and reduce the violence that is epidemic across the nation? 
I think one thing we have to keep in mind is a president can't legislate. The president can make suggestions for policy. The president can sign executive orders, but they can only go but so far. Um, the American people voted to give the Democrats power in the House and in the Senate. And we need to see whether or not those pills can pass or not. And, they, and I think that both Schumer and Nancy Pelosi owe the country um, the right to see these um, bills come to the floors of their respective houses and, and put them up to a vote so that then we can see who's voting against this. And if there's going to be um, Democrats, because there's a 50-50 majority, if there are going to be some that are going to vote against this, then we need to hold them accountable. Elections have consequences. Right now, we see a lot of voting bills that are going on across the country, and people are upset about those things. They're happening because for too long, Democrats and others weren't coming out to vote in the numbers that we did in 2020. Elections have consequences. But the consequence right now that we have is that the Democrats have the House and they have the Senate. The question is, what are they going to do with that? And if they can't get it done, then we've got to figure out people who we can send to office who can do it. We've got to remember that elections have consequences, and that's why we vote. Um, you know, Donald Trump uh, ramped up the level of hate and violence in this country uh, just from being Donald Trump. Um, do you think... Uh, a new the new president who preaches unity uh, can lower the temperature significantly uh, in terms of hostility um, towards uh, African Americans, Latinos, and also uh, you know someone who preaches unity and love can he reduce the violence of uh, uh, the level of gun violence in this country uh, just from his uh, uh, what did Teddy Roosevelt call it? His uh, uh, bully pulpit from the White House, or uh, is that too much asked for of a president? Eighty-one million people voted for Joe Biden, That's, so the president has every right to use the bully pulpit, and we need to hear him use that pulpit and to blow his use the blowhorn to, to to do that. But what we also have to keep in mind is that the president cannot do everything. This is about us as a people. The president went in 2017, after we saw the incident happen in Charleston, he hit it on the nail. This is a battle for the soul of America. When he ran for president, he gave us, this is a battle for the soul of America. And we really have to figure out how we work this and stop coming at this from a position of fear and come at a position of leadership. 81 million people voted for this president, over 74 million people for the past, for the last president. That is a referendum for change. That is... Um, uh, a mandate. And so many of us, myself included, are waiting to see what our elected officials who we sent to office are going to do. Um, and we don't want to see them on the sideline and we definitely don't want to see them fearful that something might not pass. Let's just, let's work and let's, let's lead and let's, um, let's introduce legislation and get it voted on up or down. And if it doesn't pass, and again, we just hold those, those people accountable in 2022 and send people to office who will get this done. Uh, okay. Uh, do you think, uh, well, sadly, uh, Ativa, we're almost out of time. Uh, I want to thank you for coming back uh, to join uh, us on Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I hope you can uh, join us again uh, because there will be a lot to talk about, especially in the area of uh, racial justice, I think, uh, which is an ongoing problem for this nation. Uh, our guest in this half hour has been Atiba Mudyon, who is a political analyst and the CEO of the Mudyon Group. 
Uh, his uh, Twitter handle, if you'd like to contact him, is A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N. And if uh, you have a comment on anything he said on the show, uh, go ahead and have at him. Um, and uh, he'll have a chance to come back sometime to reply. We'll be back with more of Deadline DC with Brad Bannon right after this short break. So don't go anywhere. going to talk about uh, climate change in this half hour. Uh, but before we do, I want to uh, play a clip of President Biden uh, discussing the threat that exists to American society. For too long, America has been falling back. The rest of the world is closing in and closing in on us fast. I'm asking you not just to support the bill in Congress or a government program. I'm asking you to imagine Imagine a world where you and your family can travel coast to coast without a single tank of gas or on board a high-speed train. Imagine a future where we lead the world and tackle the looming threat of climate change and with American jobs and ingenuity. This isn't a hypothetical proposition. This is a plan. It can happen. It's my American jobs plan. This moment in the economy calls for America, not just the private sector, but the public sector, all of us to do our part. This can be a moment that America wins the future. It's going to take every American to get there. So let's do big things. Think big. There's nothing beyond our capacity. That was uh, President Biden talking about the urgent need to fight climate change. Uh, in this half, since it's Earth Week, today is the first day of Earth Week. Uh, Thursday is uh, Earth Day. Uh, our guest in this half hour is Bob Deans. He's Director of Strategic Engagement for the Natural Resources Defense Council Action Fund. Uh, the NRDC combines the power of more than 3 million members and online activists with expertise of some 700 scientists, lawyers, and policy experts across the globe to ensure the rights of all people to the air, water, and wild. Bob is the author of a 2012 book, Reckless, The Political Assault on the American Environment, and the 2007 book, The River Where America Began, The Journey Along the James. He spent 25 years as a correspondent for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and other Cox newspapers. He is a former president of the White House Correspondents Association. Welcome to Deadline DC, Bob. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Thanks so much, Brad. Great I to be don't with remember you. you remember this, uh, but I interviewed you back in 2012 when Reckless came out when I was uh, uh, guest host for Leslie Marshall. So uh, uh, I, anyway, um, welcome back, and I'm glad you weren't afraid to come back on the air with me. <laughs> it was great to be with you, Brad. Uh, first, let's start this off. Uh, if you could discuss for our, uh, our audience, 
the threats that climate change poses to the world and the United States. We've been focused for very good reason for the last year on the pandemic. Uh, and I'm sure many, Americ many Americans are now feeling a sense of relief that the pandemic seems to be receding. Uh, but there's another big problem lurking around the corner. No question, Brad. It's an existential problem, in fact. And just to put a little perspective on it, since the first Earth Day, 1970, since the first Earth Day, we have burned more coal, gas, and oil globally than we did in the entire span of history before that. Think about that for a second. We have burned more coal, gas, and oil since the first Earth Day than in all of history prior to that. And here's the result. We have increased the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere by 30% to its highest level in at least three and a half million years. Now, who says so? That's from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, Brad. That's the fact. And here we see the reaction all around us. Um, these withering uh, wildfires that burned enough land in the West last year alone to cover the state of New Jersey, record hurricanes lashing our Gulf Coast, and derechos, horrible windstorms and drought that devastated Midwest ranches, farms, and communities. We're seeing the results all around us. We've got to do something about it. The science tells us that we've got to cut the carbon pollution from burning fossil fuels in half by 2030 and stop adding it to the atmosphere altogether by 2050 if we're going to have a chance of leaving our children a livable world. And the good news is the Biden administration is moving on that front this very week. Now, let me ask you a question. Uh, as a pollster, I follow uh, national polls pretty closely. And every year, uh, Pew Research uh, does a national poll on environmental issues. And uh, several years ago, they crossed a divide where there was uh, growing concern about environmental protection as a priority as opposed to economic development. And every year, the advantage, uh, the sentiment for environmental protection as opposed to economic development, uh, the gap between the two grows larger and larger and larger. Uh, do you think Americans are becoming attuned to the need to fight climate change? No question, Brad. The latest Pew poll in January showed that two-thirds of the country expects the government to be doing more to protect us from the rising cost and widening dangers of climate, the climate crisis. But here's another important thing. More and more Americans are recognizing that talking about a clean environment versus a thriving economy is a false choice. That's not the case. In fact, we can invest in clean energy and create millions of good paying jobs. Right now, Brad, across this country every day, 3.4 million Americans get up, suit up, roll up their sleeves and go to work helping us to become more energy efficient so we do more with less energy waste in our homes and workplaces, helping us to build some of the best all-electric cars anywhere in the world, helping us to get more clean, homegrown American power from the wind and sun, and helping us to modernize our electricity grid and storage system. Those are real jobs. What the Biden American Jobs Plan does is it increases that strategic investment 
so that we move away from the dirty fossil fuels that are cooking the planet to cleaner, smarter ways to power our future. And we do it in a way that drives exactly the kind of strong, durable, broad-based recovery we need to get our people back to work, get our economy working again, and make this a more equitable society. Well, let me ask you about that, because that's one of the topics I wanted to cover with you. Uh, Joe Biden has uh, outlined a uh, Build Back uh, America plan. Now, when he ran for president during the primaries, he skidded away, it seems to me, from you know saying much of anything about the Green New Deal. Uh, Bernie Sanders was a big proponent of it. Uh, but it seems to me since he became president, uh, Joe Biden has moved very aggressively to make fighting climate change a centerpiece of his administration and his Build Back America plan. Can you discuss that, please? Absolutely, Brad. I think what he did was he looked at the priorities. He said, where are we as a country right now? We're in a, a world of hurt. Uh, this pandemic has left something like 9.7 million Americans out of work. We've got to get those people back to work again. Um, the climate crisis is is affecting us it's just right outside of our kitchen windows. We've got to do something about that, too. And so what this is, is a plan. This Build Back America plan is central to a larger climate action plan that also includes the way he has organized his government so that he has made a responsible climate approach, part of the job of every federal employee and part of the priority of every federal agency, so that we take what he calls this all-of-government approach. He's put in place a seasoned crew of 18 climate specialists to help oversee this work. And he has put a pause, if you will, on new leases for oil and gas development on public lands and federal ocean waters so that we can buy a little breathing room and figure out how to make those irreplaceable resources part of the solution and not part of the problem. So this is a comprehensive package of the strongest climate action we've ever seen, and it is designed specifically to help drive a recovery so that we create jobs, get our economy going again, and by the way, improve the health of our communities and the equi equity of the society. You know, that was one of the things I really admired about Joe Biden's early moves. Uh, he he uh, appointed uh, former Secretary of State John Kerry right. uh, and former Environmental Protection Agency Administration Gina McCarthy uh, to key posts on his uh, White House staff. Uh, to make sure there's an environmental voice in all the major policy decisions that are being made. And I thought that was a great way to follow through on his commitment to the environment. No question. And as you know, Gina McCarthy was the president of the Natural Resources Defense Council oh, I, until, no. she went, okay. until she went to the, uh, to the, the Biden administration. And I can tell you firsthand, uh, this is a woman who knows, uh, the, understands the problem. She understands the fix, and she understands what it means to listen to various stakeholders so that we develop solutions that work for people. Uh, she talks about health. She talks about jobs. She talks about equity. This is core central work to Bob, the larger work we have to make. Because we're going to break. This sure. Headline DC with Brad Bannon. We'll be back with our guest, Bob Dean, from the Natural Resources Defense Council Action Fund after these messages.
Hey, welcome back to Deadline DC. Brad Dean's my guest in this half hour is Bob Deans, uh, who is the who is director of strategic engagement for the Natural Resources Defense Council Action Fund. Uh, Bob has uh, been talking to us about uh, Earth Week, uh, Earth Day, which is Thursday. And now I'd like to talk in more detail about the International Summit on Climate Change uh, that uh, President Biden is going to address uh, this Thursday. And it's quite a uh, change from the last presidential administration. Uh, one of the first things Donald Trump did when he was uh, settled in the White House was to withdraw the United States from the uh, Paris Environmental Accords and one of the first things that Joe Biden did when he was settled in the White House was to renew American participation in the uh, climate environmental accords. Uh, Bob, what do you expect to happen in this summit uh, that starts Thursday? Well, I think the first thing that's going to happen is really important, which is it's been five years since we have marshaled U.S. climate diplomacy to try to urge the other nations of the world to gather around a solution to the central environmental challenge of our time. Because remember, it was December of 2015 uh, when the Obama administration was there in Paris saying, you know, we're doing what's right for our people back at home. And now we want the rest of the world to join us. And it did more than a hundred, what I think it was 195 different nations signed on to that Paris agreement. Then what happened? We had a president who came in and withdrew our participation from that accord. Um, that was not in our best interest, Brad. That was a uh, very irresponsible and reckless act. The Paris Accord was a triumph of American leadership, and it was taking us in the right direction as a nation and as the world. What is going to happen on Thursday when Joe Biden convenes this leaders summit is he is stepping back from this retreat on climate action. And he's actually going to send a message to the rest of the world that the, that U.S. leadership is back in this effort, this vital effort to lead global action on climate. It's going to send a message to markets that the future belongs to those investors and businesses that understand and are part of this epic transition we're making to cleaner, smarter ways to power our future. And it's going to send a message to our children, Brad, that we are not going to abandon you to rising seas, withering drought, uh, collapse of species, uh, croplands turning to deserts, storms, wildfires, floods. We're not going to abandon you to that fate. Okay. Uh, as a uh, political consultant who works at Democrats, I uh, pay very close attention uh, to the messaging uh, coming out from the Republican National Committee and their campaign committees. And I've probably seen the phrase uh, describing uh, Joe Biden's presidency as job-killing socialist programs uh, dozens and dozens of times. Uh, what is your response to Republican critics who claim that the administration's commitment to climate change is going to, you know, mean that uh, millions of Americans will lose their jobs? It's complete nonsense, Brad. Uh, the reality is this. We have three, almost three and a half million Americans right now working to help us become more efficient, to help us get more clean power from the wind and sun, to help us build 
some of the best electric cars in the world. And hey, if you look at the automotive industry itself, Brad, the industry is committed to investing $257 billion by 2030 in converting to electric cars. That's what the industry wants to do. Let's look at the electric power sector. We're going to get 15% of our power this year from the wind and the sun. And 81% of all the new electric generating capacity being built this year is going to be wind, solar, or batteries that are primarily storing wind and solar power. So this idea that the Republicans are touting is nonsense. Um, this is the economic play of our lifetime, Brad, because not only here in this country, but globally, we're going to be investing trillions of dollars. The Bloomberg New Energy Finance estimates $11 trillion in just the next 25 years globally in clean energy. We want American workers and American companies to be winners in that global sweepstakes. And winning abroad starts right here at home. Okay. Uh, going back to this international summit, which occurs on Earth Day Thursday, uh, one of the issues uh, in any international agreements is uh, what uh, the extent to which uh, the People's Republic of China cooperates. Um, they either, depending upon what estimate uh, you use, have the biggest or second largest economy uh, in the world. Uh, how is what is the, are the Chinese commitment? Uh, are Chinese commit committed to fighting climate change? Yes, they absolutely are, Brad. In fact, the Chinese have committed to all electric cars uh, in the near term. I believe it's by 2030. And let's think about this for a second. One out of every three cars sold in the world is sold in China. So if you want to be a global automaker right now, you need to be shifting electric. And, the, and China's leading that charge. China's been leading the charge in high-speed rail. So you can now get on a train in Beijing at breakfast time and have lunch in Shanghai. That's the distance from Washington to Chicago. You can do that now on a train in, in China. Um, China leads the world in solar investment. They lead the world in wind investment. They lead the world in solar and wind technology uh, because they have viewed this as a strategic investment. They know where the future is headed. Now, the opposite side of the ledger is that China is doing something no other country has done in the history of the world. They are moving hundreds of millions of people from abject poverty to the global middle class, and they're doing it in the span of a single generation. We understand that takes a lot of energy. And so China's also producing a lot of carbon pollution at the moment. So it's a mixed bag, but absolutely the Chinese understand the problem. They're moving forward. This is a huge opportunity for the United States and China to work together in cooperation as the world's two largest carbon emitters and help the world develop a solution to this existential problem that jointly we face. You know, it's you were uh, a correspondent for Cox newspapers and you uh, you uh, covered the Far East for a time. Uh, is this, you know, reaching some sort of accord with the Chinese and climate change? Our, our relationship with the Chinese is very touchy right now. Uh, there are sort of all sorts of issues. Uh, do you think working with the, Chi uh, the Chinese to fight climate change could be a path to better relations between our two nations and diffuse the tensions? Absolutely, Brad, because we share so much in common. And when you have a difficult relationship, that's where you want to start. You want to start with common ground. This is common ground for the United States and China. This is not an area where we need to compete. We actually do need to cooperate. And it's a very kind of thing that cooperation here can help to build confidence 
and instill trust so that we can broaden the, uh, the relationship in a constructive way that serves the interest and the aspirations and the values of both countries. And in those areas where we don't have the same values, where we don't have the same aspirations, where we don't have the same interest, we can find ways to work with that, to try to discuss it and press for change where we want to press for change um, and, and work with them where else we can't. But I think you're right. It does provide the opportunity for us to improve our relationship. Okay. Uh, one last question, Bob. When uh, the president uh, addresses the International Summit this week, what would you like him to say? I would like for him to say that this is a global problem. It is going to require a global solution. I would like him to say that the United States has historically been the highest carbon emitter in the world, and we accept that we have a leadership responsibility to play in trying to drive the solution. And I would like him to say something very much like what you just said, which is this is an opportunity for us because every single person on the planet has a, has a stake in this, and we need to work together. We can build a more prosperous, healthier, more equitable world by working together to find a real solution to this problem. Okay. Uh, I want to thank our guest in this half hour, Bob Deans, uh, who is your strategic uh, director of strategic engagement at the Natural Resources Defense Council uh, Action Fund. Uh, Bob was here to discuss uh, Earth Week. Uh, to discuss the Climate summit, summit, which is coming up on Thursday, and also uh, the uh, Biden Build, Bu Build Back Better program, which has a significant green component. Uh, I want to thank all our guests, uh, political analyst uh, Atiba Mudyong, uh, Bob Deans from the Natural Resources Defense Council, uh, Leslie Marshall will be back tomorrow, so make sure you listen to her. Uh, in the meantime, be safe and be strong in these troubled times. Uh, and make sure you tune in to Deadline DC Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern on Periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. We'll be back uh, with uh, next week. Our guests will be political analyst Charlie Cook to talk about Joe Biden's first 100 days in office. He'll be joined by Kimberly Scott, who is the uh, publisher of Demlist. Thanks for listening and enjoy your Earth Week. Uh, you've been on the road for hours, covered 527 miles, listened to three podcasts, yeah. had two calls with your mom and one with your sister, and you're really hungry. And look at that. There's a McDonald's one mile up ahead meal. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. Cruise up to McDonald's and get your favorite items on the one, two, three dollar menu. Like a McChicken, McDouble, or four piece McNuggets. Price and participation may vary, cannot be combined with combo meal. Your backyard should be an oasis, not a challenge. And your steel dealer can help make it happen. By getting to know you and your project, they'll make sure you have the right tools for the job. From legendary gas to long-running battery tools, your locally owned steel dealer has the equipment and advice you won't find anywhere else. Real steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com.